Well, welcome to you again this morning. So good to be together. Just a couple of things to remind you about. Well, just one thing really, which is it's Christmas next week, in case you'd forgotten. So you should all have this ingrained in your minds because we've been saying it so often in terms of what's happening with services. So this afternoon, five o'clock, family carol service at Alder Road. If you're bringing kids, please get them dressed up as shepherds or as angels or as wise persons and that would help us in terms of, our, of, of what we're doing this afternoon so five o'clock and then next Sunday no uh, morning service either here or at Alder Road but the nine o'clock traditional carol service here next Sunday night which will be twinkly and amazing and uh, and beautiful right I think that's all we've got to say isn't it anything else you want to say no that makes a change good Right. Actually, one, if I, just, if I could just, on, on behalf of my wife, if, uh, uh, lots of you know, know that Grace had problems with her voice last few months and had a hemorrhage polyp she had to have operated on a few, couple of months back. It's back at the hospital on Friday and it's, it's come back. So no singing is allowed, which is personally sad for Grace and also a pain for us because obviously Grace is usually so involved in our worship. So if I could make a personal, selfish plea, if you could pray for my wife that her voice would be healed, I'd really appreciate that. Okay. I want to introduce our speakers. So this morning we're doing a little bit different. We've got a tag, tag team preaching. Three guys who are going to be sharing the word of God with us. Uh, we do this every so often. It's fun to do and, and helps get some different people up to speak. You wouldn't normally get the opportunity. And uh, at the moment, one of the things that Grace and I are doing is, is leading a, a leadership training cohort. And that includes... Uh, Carlos Bertrand and Will Montgomery and Matt Painter, who are part of that, and uh, we've been working together on a talk for this morning. Unfortunately, Matt Painter's had the lurgy the last four weeks, and his voice is still defunct, so at the last moment, Rich Stamp has stepped in to take Matt Painter's place. Last Sunday, I couldn't speak because of my voice, and John had... It's something about people called Matt, can't speak, so last week, John took my place. This week, Richard's taking Matt Painter's place. Uh, also, just so you... Just kind of a, an advance notice, next, next term, I'm planning on running a, lead, a, a preaching cohort, and there'll be three sessions over three or four months where anybody who wants to learn more about speaking, whether it's on a Sunday morning, whether it's in a small group setting... Uh, we're going to be gathering and going to be teaching about how to, how to, how, how to preach the Word of God. So that would be open to any member of the church. So just so you've got that in your thinking, we'll publicize the dates for that in the new year. But this morning, yeah. it is Carlos, Will and Rich. I'm looking forward to this. Let's give Carlos Bertrand a big welcome. Hello, hello, hello. Excellent. Can you hear me? Excellent. Uh, just let me put my timer here. Um, the last four times I have practiced this, it's been 25 minutes. <laughs> so make sure I keep in, keep in the time. Oh, candy canes. I think this one is my favorite, favorite Christmassy sweetie. It's, it's just, they're just beautiful and colorful and they taste nice. T taste really nice, I mean. I wanted to bring one for each of you, but I couldn't. So uh, there are some under your chairs. So check in under your chairs and see if you're the, one of the lucky ones that you could find one. Ah, oh, there you go. There you go. So 
well done for the ones that found one, and uh, so sorry for the, one, the ones that didn't get one. <laughs> Probably next year I'll do it. So t- this morning we want to talk about gospel-centered church, and uh, we're going to talk about three um, reasons why we need and we want to be a gospel-centered church here at Gateway. Uh, the first one is uh, we need to be a gospel-centered church because it's through the gospel that we are brought into freedom. Second one is we need to be a gospel-centered church because it's through the gospel that we are given a new identity, okay? And we want and we need to be a gospel-centered church because it's through the gospel that we are caught into mission with God. So we're going to be talking about these three things this morning. Will and, and Richard are going to talk about the second and third one, and I'm going to have the pleasure of talking a little bit about the first one. So let's do the first one. Through the gospel, we are brought into freedom, into freedom. So what would you say if I said to you this morning that the natural human condition, our condition, is slavery to sin? Probably you would say, hmm, really? And uh, I would say, well, yes, it is. And we can see that, you know, in different, different ways, all the things we do. But we can see that as well in the way we, how enslaved we are to material positions and how enslaved we are to worries and fears and lies. But Jesus says, and he's actually saying it this morning, Jesus says that we are, he can make us free and we are free of that. And that is what the gospel proclaims. Okay, that's what the gospel proclaims. If you have a Bible with you, the church Bible, the green one, Open your Bible on page 1074, 1074, and we're going to read John chapter 8 from the verse 31st to 36. And it says like that. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and we had never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Interestingly, Jesus was saying lots of interesting and good things and nice things in there. But the Jews, you know, rather than being jumping and celebrating for what Jesus was saying, they suddenly, you know, just, they, they were just kind of grumpy saying, hey, 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 why are you saying that? You know, we're not, we're not slaves. You know, they, they, instead of paying attention to the good things, they were paying attention to the bad to probably, in their mind, the bad things. You know, it's, it, I, I can kind of understand what was going on there. It's not nice to hear, you know, that you're not free or you're a slave when you think you are free. It's not nice, to, even worse, to, to hear that you're a sinner when you think you're not. So probably, I was, you know, these guys weren't, couldn't, couldn't grasp what Jesus was saying there. But let's, this morning, let's focus. We're going to try to focus on the good things that Jesus was saying rather than, rather than thinking, oh, wait a minute, I don't want you to tell me that. Okay, so the problem, the problem with, with sin, you see, is that 
Sin is sometimes, is, well, or most of the time, attractive. And uh, just that, like this little thing, you know, and, and tasty and enjoyable. And sometimes we sin without even thinking about it, without realizing that we are, we are um, sinning. Um, I'm going to tell you a little story about who's been in a hunting trip ever. Hunting trip, yeah, like hunting. You've been in a hunting trip. Is it exciting? Yeah, I'm going to tell you a story about hunting. Um, it's, it's about who would like to know how to, how to hunt for polar bears? Polar bears. Well, I was, you know, I was thinking, well, an animal hunting is Christmas anyway. Let's talk about polar bears. Yeah, yes, yes, I know. I didn't know. I wanted to bring one, but it's really difficult to find one. So I'm actually brought another type of prop. So uh, this is a, a true story, actually. When I was a scout, I was um, uh, lucky enough to, to visit some, another troop. Uh, they were from Alaska, and they were telling a story about how they used to hunt po for polar bears, right? So what they do is they usually, I didn't know if this was legal, but I think it's too late now. <laughs> All right, so sorry, probably the last time I'm preaching, you guys. <laughs> anyway, so what they do is they have even bigger knives like this, okay? I, this was the, the biggest knife I could find. Um, and, and they have buckets full of blood, seal blood or reindeer or things like that. So what they do is they just grab the knife, put the knife inside the bucket, okay, for a first layer of, of, uh, of blood, put in the, because it's so cold over there that the blood freezes really quickly, and they do that several times, several times, until the knife has a really thick coat of blood. Okay, when they're ready, they say, oh, uh, well, just to remind you that the knife is razor sharp both sides. I'm looking at some faces that probably I shouldn't continue with this, <laughs> but just, just in case it gets a bit worse. Anyway, when the, when the knife is ready, they go out of the open and they just leave the knife in the snow and the polar bears can actually smell the snow. The, uh, sorry, the, the blood. Okay, whatever they are, they can smell it. And what they do, I'm just going to put it um, in a safe place here. What, what they do is they just go where the knife is, yeah, smelling the blood and they come there and what they do is they just start licking the knife. I know. So they do that, oh, the first time is really nice, and the second one, and the third one, and then they just keep doing that until all the seal or reindeer blood is gone, but the, 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 the knife is so sharp that they start cutting their own tongues, okay, and they start bleeding, um, and, and suddenly the, the poor polar bears, they don't realize that actually they're tasting their own blood, and they just keep licking and licking and licking until it's too late for them, and they sadly die. So after that, the schemas come. Happy Christmas. <laughs> Probably just ruined Christmas for lots of kids and people. Shameful me. Anyway, the point I want to make with this story is that sin sometimes is like that for us. Okay? It's tasty. And it's there. It's a, it's a trap just that someone else has put for us. And we just go there and we start tasting. And it's just a little lick. And another lick. Another lick. Until it's too late for us. And we're just bleeding, and we can bleed to death. But the good news this morning, you know, is, is that, you know, some, sometimes, you know, even if we do that, Jesus, Jesus, through his death on the cross, 
has made us free, free of sin. So we don't need to worry about those kind of things. And even if Matt was saying a few Sundays ago that temptation is going to be there. So sinful uh, little treats are going to be there. You know, those knives full of blood that are going to make us try, you know, feel that we need to try them. Uh, even if they're there, you know, Jesus can, we can decline those temptations and we, say, we can say no and just walk away. So Jesus has brought freedom to us. You know, he has made us free from sin and from, well, temptation is there, but he can, we can decline them in his name. Okay, I said to you as well that we are enslaved to material positions. When I was preparing for this uh, talk, I thought, oh, this is my chance to be like, like Matt Hosier yeah? and, 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 and quote C.S. Lewis or something like that, something, <laughs> some, some, something very academic. And, and I, and I, but suddenly, guess what? Suddenly you realize I don't have enough books from C.S. Lewis, so I didn't, I didn't find any quotes. So I'm just going to... This is, <laughs> So this would do a little bit. Not us C.S. Lewis thing, but you know, this, this could do. It's one of my favorite songs, and it says like that. And don't spend your time looking around. You, I, I bet you all remember this song. For something you want that cannot be found, when you find out you can live without it and go along not thinking about it, I'll tell you something true. The bare necessities of life will come to you. We're talking about... <laughs> We're talking about being enslaved to material positions. We sometimes we don't think we are, but we live in a world that always telling us, you know, uh, uh, that we need more, even more what we really need. Okay, you need the latest phone, you need the most expensive trainers, you need another house, even if your house is, is a beautiful house. You need. We just need the, the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And the problem, the problem is, is that never enough. And that's the kind of world we live in. And uh, joke aside, you know, this song, it, it, there is a little bit of wisdom there, isn't it? Because, you know, we're all the time looking for the next thing, even if we don't need it. And that's a type of slavery. That's a type of slavery. We cannot, we cannot live without it. And don't get me wrong, because it's not, it's not bad to have nice things. I, I like, you know, to have, I like good phones, uh, I like computers, and I always want to have the next computers, and uh, it's good to have good houses, I would like to have a boat one day, it's not, it's not bad to have good things, but the problem is we sometimes we can just waste our life looking for the next thing, even if we don't need it, and that's, that's what we, we wake up thinking, oh, what's the next thing I'm going, and we just try to fill that void in ourselves with material stuff. And the only way to fill that void there is through Jesus. And Jesus actually is the only one that can actually feel that emptiness in us. Okay, we don't, we don't, we don't. Verse 35, it says uh, quickly, Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but our songs belong to it forever. You know, when we're part of a family, when, we be, when Jesus, um, uh, uh, we, we, we come to Jesus, we're part of this family, and, and as being part of a family, our needs are, you know, bare necessities, our needs are, are fulfilled. So, and, and Jesus actually is all we need. We don't need anything else. So sometimes we can find ourselves in that situation. So think about it. Jesus can make us free of, the, of, of, of um, material, you know, slavery to material positions. Um, next one, enslaved to fears, worries, and lies. What's going to happen tomorrow? 
Ooh, am I going to lose my job? I'm going to be able to deliver. I cannot preach in front of lots of people, especially in English. I'm not good enough. I'm not brave enough. Okay, I'm ugly. Mm, I'm too this, I'm too that. And all sorts of different things that, you know, lies and things that come to our minds sometimes. And uh, the problem with those things coming into our minds is that sometimes they just stay there. They just stay there forever and they just start growing and growing and growing. We all have worries. That's normal. We all have responsibilities. That's normal. We all want to be accepted. We all want to. And that's normal as well. Okay, but we can become slaves of these things, worries and fears, if we don't stop them. When I ten, 11 years ago, when I came here to live with, with, with um, my family, um, my English was not good enough, probably not good enough still, but my English was not good enough, and I was thinking people are just going to laugh at me, okay, when I'm, because it was so frustrating when someone was saying, oh, sorry, what did you say? Sorry, what did you say again? And, and that just came into my mind. And, and even being a Christian, that lie came into my head saying, I cannot speak English. I, I, won't, I couldn't connect uh, with society. I couldn't, um, you know, do, have friends at, at work, let alone church. I didn't want to get involved because the devil was all the time telling me, you know, you're never going to be able to communicate. Your English is really bad. So we need to be careful with that kind of things. You know, they're all the time coming our way. But Jesus can make us free from that. You know, verse, I think it's verse 32 that we want to read. But when we become part of the family, you know, we are protected. We are protected. We have someone that takes care of us. And we belong. And Jesus, you know, we we can can, uh, be sure that he's going to be proud of us. Whatever, you know, however we are. Um, and whatever worries we have, he's going to give us what we need, and he's going to protect us. So all the lies in our minds, we can be free from that through Jesus. Okay, so the gospel, quickly, because my time is running out. Uh, the gospel can bring us into freedom, but how? How? Okay, that's, that's the big question. How is the gospel bringing us into freedom? Well, uh, verse 32 says, uh, Then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. So the gospel is the, the message, okay, that enables us to see that truth. Enables us to see the truth that we are, you know, a slave to sin, out to the truth to our slavery to sin. And enables us, more, the most important things, the gospel enables us to see that Christ is the answer. Okay, the Christ has broken the power of sin on the cross and he can break the power of sins in your life, in my life, and everybody's life. So we need to be a gospel-centered church because gospel can bring us into freedom. Thank you. And now Will is bringing more good news for us. Thank you very much, Carlos. Good morning, everybody. And uh, Carlos, I can absolutely say your English is most definitely good enough. So, absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much. So, Carlos has quite, um, quite wonderfully shown us how the gospel brings us uh, absolute, complete freedom. And we're going to see that this passage brings us the same and even more. We're going to see this passage brings us out of slavery and into God's household, his own family, as his own adopted children. We're going to see 
gospel identity. So identity, uh, is it a question that's, that's thought about much? It's a question I'm faced with every single day, in fact, uh, because here is my identity card. This is uh, what I hang around my neck at work. Every day I turn up at work, have to beep it on the, uh, on the door, have to sh show reception. And if I didn't have it, I'd be really, really stuck. I wouldn't be allowed to work. I'd probably get sacked. Um, so the thing is, identity matters. It really matters, even at this level. Okay. Uh, sadly, a lot of time and effort is spent looking for identity in the wrong places. Um, it could be job title. It could be how much how much is earned. It could be how how big the size of the house is. All attempts at finding true identity in the wrong places. And it's actually been said that human beings are prepared to kill themselves and other, pe other human beings in search of questions, in search of answers to the question, who am I? Answers that satisfy that question. Well, praise God, because we do find today in the passage answers that do satisfy the question, who am I? So with that in mind, let's read. Uh, page 1170 in the church Bibles, if you've got it open. It's also going to be up there. Galatians 4, verses 4 to 7. This is what it says. When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. And so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. So who are we? What is our identity? We are, point number one, adopted sons of God. Now, adoption, it's not a process that I know huge amounts of. I know there's people here who know a lot more than I do about earthly adoption. Uh, but I do know that it's a lengthy, complex process that involves lots of paperwork and lots of red tape. And as with earthly the earthly adoption process, so too our heavenly adoption process involves lots of red tape, uh, where our sinful, sin and sinful and rebellious hearts separate us from God. Our sin and rebellion is the red tape. We're outside of his presence. Romans chapter 3 says, there is no one righteous. There's no, not even one. No one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've together become worthless. There's no one who does good. Not even one. But, praise God, because the red tape of our sin and rebellion has been soaked in blood by none other than the Son of God himself, the Lamb of God. 1 Peter 2, verse 24. By his wounds you have been healed. So because the Lamb of God goes to the cross in our place, dies the death that we should die, God's anger at our sin is satisfied, and we are free to enter in to God's family. And there's more. Look at verse 7. Because you're God's child... God has also made you an heir. So that's an amazing thought because God owns everything. He made the whole universe, and it's his to give away. He's made us, we, we are given, we are legally recognized as sons and daughters who will inherit 
what God can give away to his children. Um, it's like this. One, uh, one author describes it as, th- it's as though we're on death row, uh, headed for the electric chair. And instead of going to the electric tra- chair, somebody comes along and hangs around our neck the Congressional Medal of Honor. And we get to walk away as heroes, such as the lavish grace of God. Absolutely amazing. Now, I understand enough about salvation to know that um, my slate has been wiped clean. I'm forgiven because of the gospel. And most of the time, a lot of the time, I feel as though I have to be busy at church or I have to uh, do the right things to almost, you know, write onto the slate things that demonstrate my gratitude to God in a way. But that's only, that's only half the picture because what's actually happened is the slate has been wiped clean. It's been wiped clean. But onto the clean slate, God himself has written that we are legally recognized as sons and daughters who will inherit what is his to give away. He's written it onto the clean slate. It's down there. It's written on there, onto the clean slate. This is our gospel identity. Now, earlier last year, uh, a news story broke out uh, all about the identity of Justin Welby's father. Justin Welby is the head of the Anglican Church. And he, uh, up until recently, up until last year, had thought that his father was a man called Justin Welby, who was a whiskey salesman, died in 1977 of a heart attack, as it happens. Um, So he thought this man was his father. However, um, DNA testing actually has revealed the true identity of his biological father, who was a man called Sir Anthony Montague Brown, great name, uh, who was actually Winston Churchill's um, private secretary. And Justin Welby's mother confirms that, yes, her memory is a bit patchy, but she does recall sleeping with Sir Anthony uh, after large amounts of alcohol on both sides, nine months before Justin Welby was born. Um, So for years, poor Justin Welby had lived with a case of mistaken identity about who his father was. But praise God, because here, here, there's no case of mistaken identity. There is no guesswork. There is no DNA testing needed. Because God says he is our daddy. Look at verse 6. So you, so you are no longer, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. This is who God is. He is Abba, Father. And Abba means daddy. It's an unusual word. It's an Aramaic word. So why would Paul include Abba, that word, in there? An Aramaic word to a Greek audience. It sticks out like a sore thumb. And the key to understanding that is remembering where else it's used. It's used in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before Jesus is arrested. And he cries out, Abba, Father. It's the word he uses, which would have shocked the disciples at the time. Uh, How dare somebody sort of use such an intimate word? Um, But what's happening is that we, we too are given the same level of privilege and access to God the Father as God the, self himself, God the Son himself enjoys. We can use the same word. We can know God as Daddy. And so when we pray, we can just get down on our knees and just say, Daddy, 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 and that's enough. 
So I'm going to ask myself three questions. You're welcome to listen in to the questions. <laughs> Question number one. Am I experiencing the Father like this? Question number two. Am I feeling like I belong to the Father's family? And do I enjoy being with my siblings in the Father's family? Number three, do I need a fresh filling of the Spirit to deepen my sense of belonging to the Father's family? Well, Justin Welby, after discovering the true identity of his biological father, said this. He said, I know that I find who I am in Jesus Christ, not in genetics, and my identity in him never changes. And so we do not need to be like the film character Jason Bourne, frantically searching around, trying to piece together fragments of a forgotten identity. We know who we are. We are God's adopted children, and he is our Abba Father. He's our daddy. So we've answered the question, who am I? And the question that follows on naturally from that is, well, what am I here for? And Rich is going to help us through that. Rich, over to you. What a privilege to preach with these guys this morning. Some absolutely wonderful truths being spoken over us. Um, I wasn't feeling very festive until the polar bear story. <laughs> now, now I'm ready for Christmas, thanks. It's great. Jesus is good. The gospel is good news. I want to just picture the scene for a moment. So it's December 1944. The World War has ripped through nations and families and lives for five years. And uh, it's snowing, it's freezing cold, and our country, the world, faces a monster in the threat of the potential of Nazi rule. There's a group of men who are sitting huddled in the snow, backs to kind of trees, and um, uh, it's an obscure Belgian forest in a place called the Bastogne. And some of them have been fighting on the front line for six years. Some of these guys are injured. There's no cold weather gear. It's freezing. They're injured. It's horrible. Trees are splintering around as wave after wave of German attack uh, decimates the forest and tries to kind of blast them out of this, uh, out of, uh, just blast them apart. These men are outnumbered five to one, and they're just taking wave after wave of German attack. Uh, these American soldiers were known as the 101st Airborne Division, and they're holding a position in a small Belgian town without which the Nazis would have been able to just march through and proceed on to Antwerp, which is a, an important harbor. So their job was to form a defensive line to prevent the Nazis from punching through. And as the far superior outnumbering German army uh, pounded and pounded, a kind of a bulge formed as these men were driven back, but kind of holding on. They must have been exhausted, they must have been frightened, they were cold, but they had this in common. They knew who they were. They were the 101st Airborne Division, the Screaming Eagles. Their motto as a division was this, this is awesome, rendezvous with destiny. <laughs> they knew who was with them and amongst them, and they knew why they were there. They had a mission. And they knew that everything depended on it. Failure wasn't an option. So following wave after wave of attack, these men stood firm. And up and down this defensive line, you'd hear the shout, hold the line, 
hold the line. I'd be calling each other on, hold the line. After 48 hours of this happening, wave after wave of attack, air support finally comes in and wipes out the Nazi position victory. I'm, of course, talking about the Battle of the Bulge. For those of you who know anything about World War II history, it was the final major German offensive on the Western Front uh, during World War II, and it was one of the key decisive victories in the effort to win the war. In Scripture, the Apostle Paul often refers to us as soldiers, and of course this makes sense if you understand that soldiers have a mission. We have a mission, and the driving force for our mission is the gospel and we want to be a gospel-centered church because the gospel brings us into mission. The gospel at its heart, as we know, shows a savior who takes every wrong thing we've ever done and he removes it from us. He hurls it into the depths of the sea, as far as the east is from the west. Those two places will never meet. The gospel is communicated through what Jesus has done. It goes something like this. He says, Father, this is Richard, Matthew, Carlos, whoever. He once was lost. He went his own way. He made mistake after mistake and he hurt himself and other people around him. He once thought that he could rival your work by trying to save himself. He once ran from you. And when you reached out to him and offered unconditional love, your embrace, he ran away from that. He ran from the only place of satisfaction and rest that the world can offer in search of satisfaction and rest that the world can't offer. But I've dealt with that now. And I've taken on all the mistakes that Richard, Matt, Carlos, whoever has made, and I've made him brand new, clean and right to stand in your presence this morning. And what's more, I've made him honorable in your sight. Father, I love Richard. I want to show him your kindness and love, and I want him to be saved. I've snatched him away from stumbling towards death, and I've dressed him in the finest robe, and I've put a ring on his finger, and I present him to you now as a son or a daughter. Now fill him with your power and presence in order for him to live this life for you and to show others the goodness of who you are. That's the gospel. If you choose to believe in that gospel, if you think that's possible, then you have to believe that that gospel is good news, right? And it's worth sharing. And God knows that, which is why he weaved the impetus for us to share the gospel into our own salvation experience. We're going to read some scripture together just to highlight that. Um, it'll come up on the screen, but if you want to follow along in the church Bible, it's on page 1218. We're going to read from 1 Peter 2 verse 9. And as we read this, look for our new identity in Christ, what Will has just spoken about, and why we're given it. So speaking to the people of God, the church, Peter says, but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That phrase in verse 9 explains everything about mission. So that we might proclaim. To understand why that's important, we need to get an understanding as well of the fact that God himself is on mission and that we are called to co-labor with him in that mission. We've just been through the book of Colossians together, but tucked away in the start of the book, Colossians 1.20, we're going to read this together as well, because we've got to hold these two things in tension. We're going to read the mission statement, the plan of God through his son Jesus. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, Jesus. Why? And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. How? By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Let me just explain how that fits into the kind of 
uh, story of history. We know this stuff. God creates a good uh, it creates a good universe full of good and beautiful things. Then he creates man and woman, and he tells them to carry on his work of beautifying and bringing order to creation. It's a bit like a master painter inviting a young protege to continue his masterpiece. And then man and woman do what we're all prone to do. They turn away from God. They disobey. And in so doing, they bring death and destruction into creation, which incidentally is all you can get if you walk away from the bringer of light and life and love. And to Jesus, who dies on the cross, and through his blood shed on that cross, he makes peace for us with God, and he ushers in a new age, one that's marked by an increase in God's power and presence in the lives of men and women like us. But why? Why does God do this? Because of Colossians 1.20. God is reconciling the world to him through Christ. That means that God is on a mission to restore the brokenness of humanity, to make all the decay of the world right again, and importantly, to return to an Eden-like situation where men and women can live in perfect harmony with one another and with God, free from death, free from pain, free from tears, free from loss. That's why Jesus saves. That's God's mission, and that's the gospel. Remember what we just read in 1 Peter Peter starts off that passage, I didn't read it, by telling us that we were nobody, we were lost. We were lost at sea, we, we had no hope. But God in his mercy has made you a people, a royal nation, the royal priesthood, so that we can tell others how they can get involved in this message of restoration. In other words, God has saved you and has restored you to life so that through centering your life on the gospel and living out the gospel and sharing the gospel, others might be saved into this, and God is glorified. And just to up the stakes ever so slightly this morning, there is no other mission. There is no plan B. There's the mission that God has called you to, or there's nothing. There's much that we can learn from those men huddled in a forest in 1944. We need to know who we are. We need to know who's with us. And we need to know our mission. That's why we need a gospel-centered church. And that's what a gospel-centered church gives us. Because the gospel frees us for mission. It calls us into mission. It enables us to hold the line against our enemy in mission. Hold the line. Hold the line. As we share the truths of Jesus with our friends and colleagues as we pray for friends and relatives who are far from Jesus, as we see death and decay in, our, in the headlines and in the world around us, hold the line and hold the line until death takes you or until support comes in the form of the Holy Spirit breakthrough and Jesus saving lives. Hold the line. I used to work in the corporate world and um, I used to work for some uh, very big organizations and there was one in particular where the chief executive would fly in from wherever he was around the world and it wouldn't be uncommon for him to go and talk to one of the management team whilst they were working, kind of surprise them and say, what are you doing right now? And how does that connect with our mission? That was a brilliant lesson for me in business. It was a brilliant lesson for me in life. And in later years, it's actually a brilliant lesson for me in my walk with Jesus. What are you doing right now? Who are you talking to right now? Who are you praying for? Who are you in relationship with? What is your work about right now, and how does it connect with God's mission? We're set free by the gospel. We're given a new identity by the gospel. We're called into mission by the gospel. We are the people of God, the church on mission with God, to see it as Eugene Peterson uh, reformats um, Colossians 1.20, to see all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things 
Animals and atoms get properly fixed and put together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. Let's pray. King Jesus, thank you so much that you have died the death that, as Carlos and Will have said, we deserve to die. And in so doing, you've made peace for us with God. You've set us free, you've given us a new name, you've given us a mission, and you've given us all that we need to co-labor with you in achieving that mission. Lord God, our desire this morning is that you be glorified and our friends, neighbors, and colleagues come to know you and come to understand the freedom and identity and sense of purpose that comes from the gospel. Lord, as we coalesce around this gospel together this morning, these hundred or so people in this room, Lord, I pray, pray be glorified. Holy Spirit, would you work into our lives in such a way today that we are set for mission. Screaming eagles, rendezvous with destiny. Lord God, help us, I pray. Be glorified, King Jesus. Amen. 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 <clears throat>